Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. And welcome to the show, everyone. Hope you are having a great day. I am so excited. I have been meeting with people from Japan. As you all know, I went there a couple of weeks, but then a contingency uh, came here to Pittsburgh through Global uh, Pittsburgh that is working with the State Department. And it is so exciting to have these bonds with people in Japan, and I'm also mentioning them. We have 17 countries that listen to this show, and one of them is Japan. So a special shout out to all of you and to my good friend Yoshiko Dart. Yoshiko, I was telling everyone about you again when I had that meeting and what a great leader you are. So before we begin the show, we want to thank our sponsors. Our lead sponsor the past several years has been Highmark. And, you know, what can I say? This company is so awesome working for quality of life for people with disabilities. So thank you, Highmark. Thank you, David Holmberg. Thank you, Deb Rice Johnson. You are just the best. Thank you so much. Uh, well, today... What a pleasure for me to have two of my employees as our guest. Two people on the high test team at Bender that works in digital accessibility and really experts in their own area. We have with us today John Agravit and Jim Homey. Welcome to the show, Jim. How about if we start with you? How about if you begin by telling our listeners a little bit about your background and how you became involved in the disability community? Well, Joyce, I became involved in the disability community because I am a blind person. I'm a screen reader user. I grew up not really involved in the disability community per se. I went to school way back in the 60s and 70s when there was a school for blind children here in Pittsburgh and it had a good academic program. I immediately after that went to college to Duquesne University, got my degree in music education. And to me that was a a huge adjustment because all of a sudden I was, uh, they would call it mainstreamed today, and I, there were no disability offices at that time for people uh, who needed help, so I had to learn to advocate for myself. And I never really considered myself a joiner of organizations with disabilities until I became actually employed at Bender. Um, and just maybe about nine years ago or so, I had uh, taken a correspondence course in chess and I joined my first blindness organization at that time. It was free to join. It was the uh, United States Chess Rail Chess Association. I just became president of that organization this year, and it's been a lot of fun. Wow. I know what a great job you've been doing for us and how well-known you are nationally, Jim. Um, how about you, Jonna? 
Well, before I started working at Bender, um, I actually worked for a small company called Silver Lining Technologies, and what I would do there is train people on how to use their assistive technology, whether it be screen reader or uh, Dragon, back when Dragon dictation was used. Um, I would make house calls to help them set up their laptops, but one of my most favorite things was my volunteer work at this place called CyberVision. And there, I was an adult mentor to students who were losing their eyesight. Um, I got to talk to them about everyday life, you know, being a blind person and how you could do things independently. You just had to find different ways to do them. Um, it was very rewarding for me. That, that is just so great. And, Jonna, your husband also works for me, Mike. Yes. Mike Gravit, yes. And Mike is a uh, software engineer that has worked for me uh, almost since I started the company in 1995. Um, A real leader in our company. So, Jim, would you explain to our listeners uh, what are high-test mission and services? Well, you probably – let me explain it this way. Um, Our high-test team – helps people with who, who want to make their products accessible, uh, websites, mobile applications, Microsoft Office documents. And the, the way I try to explain it to people is we all know a lot about physical accessibility from walking outside and seeing the ramps on street corners, going into buildings, seeing that you don't have to step up anymore and things like that, elevators with Braille signs, stuff like that. That's been around for a long time. But for digital accessibility, that's, it's also been around approximately the same length of time, but it's the digital world like it is in the physical world. We have to communicate the, the correct information to the technology that people with disabilities use so that that technology can communicate the right information to the person so that they understand what it is they're looking at, how to use it, and where they are. And um, how, how do they contact us, Jim, if they need our help? They can contact us through our website at BenderConsult.com or they can contact us. There is a contact form on the site, and one of those options includes our high-test services. They can call us at 412-787-8567, and we'll help them as quickly as we can. Um, Thanks, Jim. Uh, And remember, as Jim mentioned, you know, years, years, years ago, I know of people, when the, this is before PCs, I know people who would go on interviews with their resume in hand but could not get into the building if they used a wheelchair. And they actually would have to have someone else take it in or they would have to, um, if, even if it was accessible 
but from that point on was not. Then, in other words, they just had stairs once you got inside. Then they would have to interview the person on the first floor. So, in other words, if you wanted to work, you couldn't get through the door. Well, guess what? Same thing today for people who need accessibility. If you cannot see, in other words, understand the website or applications, you can't get through that door. So, no access, no employment. Uh, Jonna, how about you? Why don't you tell us about your specific work at Bender Consulting Services in the high-test area? Okay, well... My primary responsibility is the screen reader portion of the accessibility testing. Um, I use different combinations of screen readers and browsers or mobile applications with VoiceOver and the iPhone to test for accessibility violations and that are relative to the WCAG guidelines. Um, I also assist Jim in document accessibility, and um, we also are working together on enhancing our reports that we give to customers, making those um, more streamlined. And, Jonna, do you see that a lot of companies don't get it, that, that they that being accessible is not like a nice thing to do or being accessible, oh, that's so innovative, we should look into it. But do you agree from knowing so many people in your community and others that it's a must right now? I agree it's a must. I agree because I feel that all people with disabilities should have equal access to the same content that people without disabilities can have on a regular basis. Yes, and when I spoke uh, on Global Accessibility Day, I talked about this. You know, I'll talk to companies, for example, and they'll say, oh, you know, we're really trying to be progressive uh, in the disability arena, and we are working next year on getting different platforms to be accessible. And they say this as if it's, oh, that would be a nice thing to do, sort of like having an ERG group at the company. That would be a nice thing to do, like sending people to training. Hey, it's not a nice thing to do. It's you must do this. Again, justice for all. I always say, if tomorrow you became a person who is deaf or blind or had a learning disability and you wanted to work for a company. But because they lacked accessibility, you could not fill out the employment application. Well, then guess what? You're going to lose out on great talent. Uh, there was a right, woman. absolutely correct. Yes, there is a woman, uh, a a person who is blind, and she wanted to work for this company, and she would not give up. It was not the. It was somewhat, if there is such a thing, is somewhat accessible, but so difficult. 
to go through all the halls and all the, you know, stoplights, everything you had to go to, to get this application completed. It took her 45 minutes. Now, this woman has a PhD, and she did get hired, but they would have lost out, not only on her, but I assure you, there are many people who are blind. They would not sit there for 45 minutes. So you, by not being accessible, you are losing out on a great talent pool of people. So remember, it's not a nice thing to do. It's a business thing to do. Uh, so, Jim, for our listeners around the world, they may not know what we're talking about when we talk about digital accessibility. Uh, could you explain that? I certainly can. Uh, digital accessibility uh, is when you make it so that your software, your websites, and your mobile applications are able to be used by people of all disabilities. Uh, the regulations cover people who are blind, people who have hearing disabilities, people who have motor disabilities, and people who have learning disabilities. And there are specifically uh, targeted regulations that cover that. Um, we go by the WCAG 2.X standards, which are internationally recognized. And at the beginning of this year, just became enforceable in the United States as the new Section 508 guidelines. And um, incidentally, Joyce, you were talking about how how uh, being accessible is the thing that companies must do, uh, but it is also something that is also a nice thing to have. We know at Bender, uh, through our recruitment efforts and finding people with disabilities jobs, that it absolutely benefits a company's bottom line to have people with disabilities at work there. They're more loyal uh, and, and a lot of other benefits, but I can absolutely tell you that if you are at a company and you are marketing... You need to know that besides the legal benefits that you gain uh, by not getting in trouble for not being accessible, you get search engine optimization, which brings you more visitors, which will ultimately bring you more uh, customers. Back in the early 2000s, Microsoft and DuPont did studies with people with disabilities and they found that for every person with a disability who accesses a website or a mobile application, they influence the spending power of at least three more people. So mathematically, if one-fifth of the people in the United States have disabilities and you shut them out of your website or your mobile app, you're losing maybe more than one-fifth of the revenue that, that you otherwise would have. And also, we are also aging in the United States more and more. More and more older people are living longer, and they are acquiring disabilities. So it's extremely essential that, for business reasons, companies need to be accessible or they're losing money. 
Jim, you so elegantly and correctly explained that. Um, it is wonderful for the company, but and, and it's a must. I mean, it's the law. But it isn't as if I do this and then that's it. What do, what do I get out of this? Oh, you get a lot out of it. Uh, Jim just gave you some of the reasons, but I have to make it clear to you that it is a business return on investment uh, advantage. I'm going to give you another example. I, in the last two weeks, were at two different events where the speaker was talking about the ongoing labor labor shortage. And we are headquartered in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And even here, we have currently 80,000 jobs that cannot be filled. Now, these are, of course, in all areas uh, from uh, IT to manufacturing to people doing welding. But these are jobs that cannot be filled. And the whole question was, what are we going to do? Because as we go on, just as Jim mentioned, more and more people are retiring, and how will we fill those jobs? And sometimes I get angry when I'm at one of these events, and no one says, oh, what about that untapped labor pool, people with disabilities? It's so, it's so upsets me when this happens. So if you want to compete, listen, there is an untapped labor pool called people with disabilities with great talent, where talent should be the only discriminator, where people want to work and just think you'll have that cutting edge advantage over other companies. So part of this is you can't do that unless you're accessible. You know, you you can't attract that labor pool of people if you are not accessible, if you don't have accessibility. And I know we have a lot of new things going on right at Bender Consulting. Jonna, uh, would you mind sharing with our listeners information about new digital access at work training product? Sure, sure. Well, first of all, um, this is my uh, promotion. I am the product manager of Digital Access at Work, and the goal of Digital Access at Work is to develop a curriculum that um, will help people understand how to test effectively for the WCAG guidelines. They will also learn how to use assistive technology um, to be honest with you, this is so new to me that I haven't even had a chance to teach someone about this yet, but I am so looking forward to it. The participants in the program will cover how to use screen readers, how to effectively navigate the web, and this is so going to open up Um, people with disabilities being able to advocate for themselves and to get new jobs to be more hireable. Um, And I can't wait to be able to start putting this product into management, into into use. And um, that's really all I can say. 
about it at this time. Well, it's going to be new job opportunities and uh, more productive, increased productivity. That is so exciting, Jonna. You know, while I have both of you uh, on the phone talking about how when I spoke the other day to this group of uh, Japanese disability uh, leaders and a politician and business person, uh, they wanted to know, well, is it possible for people who are blind to gain employment in the United States? And, you know, there was a time, and Jim, I don't know if you remember this, but maybe in 1996 or 1997, I went to an event that Vocational Rehab was sponsoring in Harrisburg. Uh, and I was invited by the Secretary of Labor. And I was seated at a table by this gentleman, and I was talking about how I am trying to find employment for people uh, from the disability community. And, and so you all know, at that time, and the reason I won the President's Award at the White House from President Clinton is at Bender Consulting, we were the only for-profit company working in competitive employment for people with disabilities. In other words, IT, finance, accounting, those type of positions that I mentioned. So this gentleman seated by me said, whoa, I've found employment for over 300 people who are blind. And I said, what? Wow. You're far ahead of me. He said, yeah, they're all making brooms. Do you remember that, Jim? I distinctly remember that. As a matter of fact, I'm going to give you a story um, about that goes a little further back in my history. When I was at the blind school here in Pittsburgh, I was in eighth grade. I was about to go to high school. Um, my guidance counselor, a wonderful gentleman, sat me down and said to me, about the only thing I see in your future is making brooms. Mm. And I sat down there and I said, I'm going to find a way to prove him wrong. And I didn't know how I was going to do it, but I just knew I was going to do it. And um, on May 28th this year, Memorial Day, will be my 30th year in information technology. Wow. And Joyce, you and I both know that... uh, um, I'm sorry, my 22nd year in, in, at Bender. I'm sorry, I got the wrong anniversary. That's all um, right. But, but also, this year uh, on Halloween, scary thought, is going to be my 30th anniversary in IT. And a lot of people may not know that Joyce was, was, the, fir- was the person who got me my first job way back in 1988. Um, I'm the first person with a disability that Joyce got a job for ever. Uh, back when she started to volunteer a long time ago, and um, it was a really, really big deal. I was very, very lucky. Um, I was I got my job back in the days when when um, graphics was not a really big thing. I I missed. Um, I missed punch cards by about five years. I was a COBOL developer. Um, but then I learned to advocate for myself about seven or eight years after that. 
because I got caught in the wrong place at the wrong time and had to go back to school, got back to work. Uh, nobody would support me. I had lost all of my savings. That was when I started working for Bender. Uh, my little girl was about to be one year old. She now has a job at, at Highmark through Bender. She's 22 years old now. Um, uh, the, the screen reader company said, we're not going to support you. They plopped a whole new piece of software on my desk. I had no idea how I was going to use this piece of software. But that's reality if you have a disability, if you are, are blind or if you have a disability, and if you have something that's inaccessible. You either have to survive sometimes or lose your job, and I was determined that that was not going to happen. So I sat down, and I wrote all the code for myself that I needed to write for the screen reader that I was using at the time to survive at my job and I became the only blind certified Lotus developer ever. And that's how I learned to advocate for myself as a person with a disability. And through that experience and through advocating for myself was how uh, High Test got born because I decided that somehow, some way, we were going to help other people with disabilities figure out a way to gain employment get promoted, and keep their jobs. And, of course, as you grow older, you want the world to be a better place when, when you're not here anymore. So all of that really drives me, and I would like to see things to be better for people with disabilities in general, especially uh, in the arena of accessibility for that reason. That is such a great story, Jim, and I am so proud of you and proud to have both you and Jonna at Bender, Uh, and Jim's right, he is the first person that I helped gain employment, and it was in IT. I I just want to mention that story Jim told about the counselor saying, uh, the only thing I see in your future is making brooms. Do you know that to this day... I've had people say to people who are blind and or deaf or other disabilities, the only thing I see in your future is working at McDonald's. Uh, And we've got a long way to go. We've got to break down this stigma that exists uh, and still exists in this country. Jonna, before we talk about, um, well, two things I actually want to uh, ask you. What what is your vision? The product that we talked about. What is your vision about that? I want this to grow exponentially and be able to help people get more jobs um, and be able to effectively advocate for themselves in the marketplace. I would love to see people with disabilities, all types of disabilities, have the opportunities that people that do not have a disability have. And I really believe that this product is going to help that. Well, I do too, Jonna. And once again, if you're interested in hearing more about this product and more about our services at High Test and how we can help you or your company, Bender Consult. 
bendersconsult.com. Just go to bendersconsult.com and and there is a contact place. You can ask your questions and get in touch with us there, bendersconsult.com. Jonna, you too, like me and like Jim, you do uh, volunteer work. And you know, at Bender, that is one of our value statements, that volunteerism is part of who we are. Uh, Jonna, and I know you do volunteer work, and I also know you have a leadership role. I wonder if you could talk about that for our listeners. Sure. Um, I have a guide dog from a school called Guiding Eyes for the Blind, and she is my second dog from that school. And I love the services that they provide to people with disabilities. Uh, Well, it's free for us, actually. We don't pay anything. But this year, I was selected to serve a three-year term on what they call their graduate council. And what my role there is, is to interview students who have just graduated with their dog and provide the feedback back to the school to let them know, you know, if there's things that need improved or things that they actually loved. Um, And then on top of that, I was selected to be on the technology board of Guiding Eyes. And my role there is going to be talking to the students about the technology that they use while they're on campus and if there's anything that can be improved there. And I will also be researching new types of technology that they could possibly utilize while they're there as well. And I truly love to be able to give back and help. I want to be a part of volunteering for as long as I can. And even when I'm no longer on the graduate council, I'm still going to find ways to give back to the school that has provided me with such an amazing dog and such a greater independence because of my dog. Well, isn't that dog part of who you are? She sure is. She is an extension of me. She's like my child. Yeah, and um, I know, Jonna, that I've talked to you and I've talked to Jim uh, and Mike and many others about this, but maybe you could talk also for a minute about the not playing with the guide dog when you're a stranger. Oh, (laughs) so uh, there's a lot of etiquette surrounding guide dogs um, and how people, you know, in the public interact with them. And it's very, very important that if you see a blind person walking down the street with their dog, do not approach them and start petting their dog or talking to their dog because, quite honestly, you could put that person in danger. If you distract the dog from the job that she's doing, you could possibly have, you know, cause that person to get hurt because, you know, at the end of the day, they are dogs. They're very well trained and very well behaved, but they're dogs. And, and they do get distracted by people and things. It's very, very important that if you want to interact with the person that has the dog, talk to the person. You know, 
they'll be more than happy to educate you on what the guide dog can do and how they're trained, um, but never, ever approach them and start playing with the dog. And it's okay to ask if you can pet their dog, but accept it if they tell you no, because it's important to not distract that dog's focus. Yes, I'm glad you brought up that last point about don't be offended if the person uh, says no. And Jim, I know um, I was with you once when someone did not ask you, but just started petting the dog and asking you the name of your dog. Uh, What do you have to say about that? Do you have any additional comments about that, Jim? Jonna covered it very well. I, I will just emphasize just the one point um, that dogs are going to be dogs no matter where they are. They don't understand um, what it is about. They don't get the idea that it's not okay to pet me. Um, they're going to love somebody no matter what. That's uh, just because they're dogs. They can't help it. We have to try to think for them and and uh, imagine what could possibly could happen. And it's really, really helpful um, if folks would understand that they're actually helping the dog do its job by ignoring it. It's, I know that it's really attractive to want to walk up to a well-behaved dog and say hi to it because let's let's face it well-behaved dogs are rare and these dogs are extremely well-behaved in all kinds of situations and it's just a really hard thing not to do i mean i remember when my best friend got his first seeing eye dog and i didn't know any better um i pet the dog and i didn't understand what kind of danger i was putting him in and I lived with him in, for a while in, in his apartment, and he had to take me aside and explain it to me. And once I got my dog, I got, I got the idea graphically because my dog loved my wife, and, and she saw my wife across the street in downtown Pittsburgh on one of the busiest streets, Fifth Avenue, tried to pull me into the traffic to go see my wife, and my wife had to hide in a building to keep the dog from hurting, getting me hurt. So I figured it out very quickly that uh, that that's what you don't do. Yeah, and I hope you all got that. I'm going to tell you what, I have a Yorkie, and I can be way out, and the minute he sees me, he's jumping and jumping, uh, trying to get out of the door. Why I'm telling you that is just as Jim said. If if uh, the dog really loves you, and, and you've been doing the wrong thing, petting, playing with the, the dog, or giving the dog treats when the other person doesn't know it, and that dog sees you, it's going to be like my dog. It's going to start jumping and want to get to you. And just as Jim said, that could be a very terrible accident. So please ask first. And number two, don't be offended if the person says uh, no. So, Jim, we were talking about 
accessibility before. I guess you would probably agree with me that some of the, when you get to the bottom line, that the main uh, benefit for a company is the bottom line, is helping from a business perspective. Absolutely. That's, that would be my premise. That would be my, what I would say. Um, it's all about the bottom line. And um, it's all about uh, a lot of other things, too. Uh, the accessibility industry is beginning to mature now. Um, the best way I can explain it is you probably remember from history class uh, how uh, when Henry Ford came on the scene, how automobiles began to be mass-produced. Um, Henry Ford standardized... Um, mass production of automobiles, and that included things like making bolts the same size, making parts the exact same way. We're starting to get to that point now, uh, not only in, in the software industry where we're using a lot of components to build software, but we're also learning that if we build accessibility into those components, that software will just be accessible right from the beginning, and that's going to lower the cost of accessibility right from the beginning. Uh, And right now we're at a point where we understand that it's much less expensive to build software and consider accessibility right from the beginning than it is to get into trouble legally or to go to somebody and say, what do I need to do to fix this thing to make it accessible? It's probably, I'm only guessing here, maybe five times more expensive uh, to, to fix accessibility than it is to build it in from the beginning. And one of the things I really hope, really hope for is that, that uh, the, a lot of these uh, script libraries companies will want to devote some of their time to, to helping make the more popular ones accessible right from the beginning. And uh, people will want to volunteer to do that because that will just help all of us exponentially. Yeah, how true that is. Universal design. Remember what Jim said, as people get older and lose vision or hearing, or have a mobility issue, or some type of uh, cognitive delay, remember, if you have accessibility built in, it's there for everyone. See, accessibility has to be for everyone. So, Jim, before we end the show today, I thought uh, maybe you could talk about some of the trends in digital accessibility and where the industry is headed. I kind of alluded to that a couple of minutes ago when I was talking about how accessibility, how the whole industry is being more automated. Um, we are going into um, some, some uh, areas now where there's research being done about how to standardize the way we test for the way we report on, and the way we feed accessibility automated tools, the information that they need 
to crawl through software and tell us what the accessibility errors are. That kind of thing is in its infancy, and that's reflected in a lot of the tools that people are building right now in, let's just say, the non-accessible world just as an artificial way to talk about it, to separate the two. But, of course, we always want even the non-accessible stuff to be accessible right from the beginning. But anyway, um, artificially talking about that, it's really very much going the same way. And the thing that will speed that up um, is if we make some of the libraries accessible. And what's, what that's going to do is it's going to lower the cost of accessibility. It's going to make it so that we don't think about accessibility. It's just going to be built in. Um, and I can tell you that as a person with a disability, as a blind person, um, I, I hope I get to see the day where I will just be able to turn on my computer and everything will just work and I won't even have to think about whether I can use the software or not, whether it's going to impact my job or not. And I would like to see that same kind of thing for the young person coming up. Me, me too. Me too. Uh, Jonna... And Jim, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank two you very of my, much for having us. Two of my favorite people, two superstar people in digital accessibility. And if you're listening to the show now and you need that service, remember, BenderConsult.com, you will have two superstars helping you out. So, before we end the show today, we always end the show with a quote. And today that quote is, what a blind person needs is not a teacher, but another self, said Helen Keller, and how true that is. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Talk to you next week with my guest, Deborah Rue. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader and Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com.